This is an RNZ podcast. Have I ever lived with Tova? Yeah, yeah it's, it's one have... of those rumours floating around. You know, you used to live with Tova. You were flatmates. That's why she goes no. so easy on you. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> no. No. That was the Prime Minister on the talk station Today FM back in March, talking to the co-host of The Tova Show, Mark Dye, who put to her a couple of the conspiratorial rumours about her and her partner, Clark Gayford, that had been circulating for ages. No, we have not lived together. And I could... For about every other uh, little conspiracy theory you've just shared this morning, but I'll probably spare the listeners the time. And while Jacinda Ardern just laughed them off there, it was no laughing matter when rumours like that first emerged back in 2018. Now, at that time, media inquiries to the police prompted an extraordinary statement from the police commissioner that it was untrue that the Prime Minister's partner was under investigation for anything. And several newsrooms got a lawyer's letter at that time reminding them that the rumours were defamatory and could spark legal action should anyone repeat them in the media. And they didn't until this year. When Today FM launched back in March, the Tova show aired a satirical song lampooning the paranoid people who were circulating those rumours and it went pretty close to hinting at the defamatory stuff that wasn't fit to air. Sweating, blushing, laughing, crying, all simultaneous. We've addressed every single rumour that we've heard. And can I say it's all a parody, which means none of it's true. Yeah. 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 Yay. And it also means you can't do us for defamation. Yay. Allegedly, yay. No, but but I I really do feel sorry for them, though, because some of the rumours floating around are ridiculous, and it's always coming from the same people. And coincidentally, just days later, a youth-focused music podcast called Kick, published by major media company NZME, did blurt out some of that scurrilous stuff about the Prime Minister's partner. And last week, that resulted in a statement of apology that acknowledged that the rumours were based on baseless lies and that a confidential payment had been made to settle the matter. But there's little accountability for misinformation online or for the platforms that allow people to push it. Now, coincidentally, last week, Tova O'Brien returned to those rumours about the PM and her partner on her Today FM show, and she told listeners the rumours had now spread so widely there was nothing funny about them anymore. Thanks to social media, and probably also thanks to how seemingly innocuous and arguably plausible these rumours are, they've been picked up by all of us. Now, on Today FM, Tova O'Brien went on to say it wasn't just gossip for gossip's sake. It's not funny, it's sad and it's scary and there are people out there who need help and instead powerful propagandists are taking advantage of that. Tova O'Brien even urged the government to act now on malicious online misinformation though she acknowledged that her idea wouldn't go down too well with those already distrustful of or hostile to the current government. There is no minister or government agency specifically tasked with monitoring and dealing with the increasing threat posed by dis and misinformation. That should change. It is time for a misinformation minister. The title might need some work, could be misconstrued, could be counterproductive. This was not a paid message. But last Monday, one government minister did say that he's on the case. Who is the minister in charge of social media? Is it you? Uh, I suppose so. <laughs> and we're, trying, we're going through a whole content regulation review right now, and, we're, and I'm waiting on some of the results, and we're working, working that with uh, um, uh, Jan Tanetti and Internal Affairs. Uh, look, look, uh, there's a lot of things out of control, but I, I, I'm trying to bring some balance to it. Speaking on the spin-off podcast The Fold, Broadcasting Minister Willie Jackson told Duncan Grieve that he, just like Tova O'Brien, has also been alarmed to hear online misinformation recycled by people he knows, including relatives.
Now, that review of media content regulation that he talked about there, run by the Department of Internal Affairs, is a complicated piece of work. It's reconsidering the roles of several regulators which reign in our mainstream media and publishing these days, and it's also pondering extending the regulation to the mostly unregulated internet that's become increasingly influential in informing people and misinforming them. And on the spin-off podcast The Fold, Woody Jackson pointed to the problems that confronting that could entail. I think, well, with this content regulation, we'll be able to... We need to bring a set of rules to the table, right? We, we have to. At the same time, you have to balance those rules with freedom of expression. You know? Yeah. Like, how do, you, how do you manage... Like, they'll say, well, we'll watch whatever you want to watch. And we will come back to that in just a minute. But Willie Jackson went on to tell the spin-off that he'll soon be meeting the likes of Google and Meta, the parent company of Facebook, to discuss all of that and more. Now, just last week, one of the official media watchdogs that's up for review, the Broadcasting Standards Authority, released new research showing that more New Zealanders than ever before are now worried about digital social media platforms fueling misinformation and making it harder to identify the truth. And they noted that this has happened just as social media has overtaken free-to-air television as the country's single most consumed media source. Now, this was revealed by a survey of public attitudes to accuracy in the media, and we'll look at what else was revealed in the details of that another time here on Media Watch. But while people can and do go to the broadcasters, and then to the Broadcasting Standards Authority, if they see or hear something inaccurate on the air, as things stand, it's all but impossible to successfully challenge fake news online, and the volume of it is only increasing. Just last week, for example, the news agency AAP published a story headlined No, New Zealand Police is not launching a probe into vaccine deaths. A month ago, self-described independent news and entertainment website News Punch made that false claim in a story shared widely on Facebook with the headline Jacinda Ardern left reeling as New Zealand Police look at investigating COVID jab deaths. Now, this story said that the fringe group called New Zealand Doctors Speaking Out with Science had written a letter to the police requesting an investigation. But AAP's fact-checkers found there was no evidence at all that police were following up on this or had any grounds to. Now, AAP is Australia's national news agency, and it was nice of them to debunk yet another piece of COVID-related fake news being shared widely online here. And on the face of it, it was also nice that titanic tech platforms Google, Facebook, Twitter, Amazon and TikTok all signed up last week to a code of practice to reduce harmful online content here, including misinformation. Now, this was put together by our national online safety agency, NetSafe, for last week's Net Safety Week, and it was hailed in several media reports as a world-first agreement. But on News Talk ZB last week, Mike Hosking told NetSafe CEO Brent Carey he was sceptical. Big techs say one thing and do another, and we all know that, don't we? Well, with this uh, code, we've got an accountability mechanism, and I think the real interest here is public complaints. So people will actually be able to complain and have it independently uh, assessed through this uh, administration and also uh, through uh, an oversight committee, which is, is unique. Are we all agreed on what harmful content is? Well, I think that's why we're going to look at it through complaints, because people will have to test those. But if that comes to pass, well, that would be yet another self-regulatory media body that people can complain to. And media commentator Andrew Holden, while noting the good intentions, on 9 to noon last Tuesday also stressed the absence of teeth. 
there's no financial sanctions as such. If anything, it sounds like the worst sanction is that they'd be asked to leave the agreement, which isn't really a sanction at all. So, I, you know, it's understandable that there are some people saying this is all very nice, but actually some concrete legislation that would have uh, proper penalties in place would be better. Now, also this week, Stuff Technology writer Tom Polistreka said that the code doesn't actually commit the digital platforms to very many specific measures. The signatories can pick and choose which measures they agree to implement and which ones they don't think are appropriate to them and they can ignore. So it remains to be seen if this is just a box-ticking exercise that actually only requires the powerful platforms to tick a few boxes. But on Newstalk ZB, the net newsers group Toa Toa reckoned that the companies supporting that new code of practice were actually trying to avoid more aggressive oversight. Do you reckon that they've signed this to avoid regulation? I think that this is definitely related to the ongoing work that DIA is doing around online content. So yeah, I think that this is an attempt to preempt that regulatory framework that's coming down the pipeline at them. Well, that regulatory work in the pipeline that Toa Toa's Mandy Hank spoke of there is the Review of Media Content Regulation, which we heard the Broadcasting and Media Minister Willie Jackson mention earlier, which has run through the Department of Internal Affairs with Minister Jan Tanetti in charge. Now, the stated goal of that is creating a modern and flexible framework to mitigate the harmful effects of content, irrespective of the way that content is delivered. And what they're pondering is replacing the range of agencies we have for monitoring the media now, the Broadcasting Standards Authority, the Advertising Standards Authority, the Media Council and the Classification Office, which is effectively the nation's censor. And in its place, they want a digital age system, possibly even a one-stop shop covering all those functions and operating at arm's length from government. And for the first time, online outlets, including social media, could be classed as media service providers and obliged to abide by standards, just like the established news media and broadcasters do today. So in essence, bad stuff on the thus far mostly unregulated internet could come within its scope. And in theory, this really could oblige offshore tech companies to curb misinformation or be penalised. The current government's review says that content can cause harm to individuals, communities and society. And one of the possibilities is the development of harm minimisation codes with legislation setting out minimum standards for harm prevention and moderation. And this could even mean the creation of new criminal offences and penalties for non-compliance. But, as the Minister Willie Jackson said earlier in that spin-off interview, the difficulty with that is not just safeguarding freedom of speech but fundamental press freedoms as well. And good reporting that's clearly in the public interest might well cause some distress or harm to certain people or groups. So, how far has the government got with all this? Well, one round of consultation with news media has been completed and another one has begun on the framework for all of it. And Media Watch understands that Cabinet will soon consider a proposed new regulatory framework with details to be published later this year for public input and discussion. And we'll certainly be discussing that here on Media Watch. But while the government and the media industry ponder how to handle harmful stuff online, the social media platforms continue to evolve in unforeseen ways. Within the last fortnight, users of Facebook and its sister platform Instagram have found their feeds feature far more stuff from influencers, celebrities and even random strangers and less stuff from their friends, family or favoured sources of news. 
The reason for that is that Facebook's owner Meta and its head honcho Mark Zuckerberg is fighting off TikTok, the Chinese-made video app that's growing fast and now has more than a billion users around the world and plenty here in New Zealand as well. Now, artificial intelligence-driven algorithms are shaping much more of what Facebook users will see from now on, and what this means for the spread of misinformation here in New Zealand isn't yet clear. But lately, there have been warnings about possible overseas influence on New Zealand politics. The Electoral Amendment Act, introduced to Parliament recently, set out changes to be made before the next election, and last week, RNZ's Morning Report said the government's considering a separate fix to prevent big foreign funders secretly influencing our elections, including via online social media. Now, if that sounds unlikely, well, it doesn't in the UK, where the 2016 Brexit vote was influenced by deliberate disinformation. Former News Hub Europe correspondent Lloyd Burr covered that issue during three years based in London, including the multi-millionaires who bankrolled the bid to leave the EU. Now, these included the so-called bad boys of Brexit, Aaron Banks and Andy Wigmore, who popped up during the 2020 election campaign here, promising a social media on steroids campaign getting in behind New Zealand first. So this week I asked Lloyd Burr if this was something New Zealand should now take seriously and if he agreed with his former News Hub colleague and current co-host at Today FM, Tova O'Brien, that New Zealand now needs a Minister of Misinformation. I don't know the solution to this and I don't think a Minister for Misinformation is the right role to police it because a Minister is always partial, right? You can never have an impartial Minister. There would need to be some kind of maybe more removed from the partial politics kind of thing, maybe uh, in the ombudsman or they're kind of the same debate they're having around the children's commissioner or the children's commissioner's board or whatever at the moment. Where does it sit in social development ministry and all that type of stuff at the moment? And where would it sit that allows them to be completely impartial? It's quite sad, really, that we'd need a government agency that is a fact checker that then passes issues of misinformation onto the police and the police go and hunt them down and charge them. It's just, I mean, it's a sorry state for the society to get to that point. Understand the sentiment behind what Tova's saying, that there is lots of misinformation going around and there's always been fake rumours when you're a public figure, right? And it's going to be an issue that becomes bigger and bigger when you've got all these different platforms in which people can say absolute false stuff. But people have always been saying false stuff. I think it's just the way that they're sharing it is quite dangerous at the moment. You were the Europe correspondent for News Hub based in London and, and you know, post-Brexit vote Britain, I guess, where... There was a lot of angst about that decision being made and being influenced by um, misinformation from um, the Leave campaign and others. And you had this fascinating encounter with a couple of people involved in that, Aaron Banks and Andy Wigmore, big money guys claiming for a time they were going to get involved in New Zealand politics, trying to hook up with New Zealand First and back Winston Peters. We will will ensure ensure that voters have a choice. They will see what Winston Peters stands for and his party. It will give them a choice, and they won't have to rely to get their information you know, from the mainstream they, media. Yeah. They can rely on the platform that exactly. we will create for him, which will allow voters to look directly yeah. at what he's got. They were completely upfront about wanting to have influence in New Zealand, even though that particular intervention seemed like maybe just a bit of showing off and, and didn't come to, to anything. But do we need to be concerned about people like that, that for whatever motivation might want to get involved here? we do need to be wary of people like that. Big foreign money coming and influencing politics. And that's the reason why I did the story, right? Aaron Banks did bankroll a whole lot of the Brexit campaign, Nigel Farage's Brexit campaign. He's one of Nigel Farage's best mates. He really liked Peter's um, type of politics. And the reason that I went out there, and it was bizarre, took the train out to Bristol and and then Ubered out to his massive kind of castle. He's got a castle, and it's got 
a petting zoo and all of this <laughs> weird stuff in the background. It's open to the public. It's kind of strange. And they were completely open to to doing this interview. And they did tell, and I thought that they were going to be bankrolling New Zealand First, you know, chucking a whole lot of money into it. Mm. And you did see some social media that came out of New Zealand First at that time that was, um, Winston will be the handbrake on this out-of-control Labour Party, that kind of stuff. But that principle of someone somewhere, whether onshore, offshore, with resources, might want to do what Banks and Wigmore were talking about, you know, on steroids, social media stuff, in order to, you know, pump up one side of a, a political election debate. That's something we should definitely keep an eye on in 2023, you think? Absolutely. And anyone could do it. Anyone from overseas, if you've got big money and you'd like to influence New Zealand politics, you can. It's so easy to do from afar now, and I think that is something that we should be worried about. Former News Hub Europe correspondent Lloyd Burr, now an afternoon host on Today FM.